A serial killer is a person who murders three or more people over a period of more than 30 days, with a cooling off period between each murder, and whose motivation for killing is largely based on psychological gratification. Often a sexual element is involved with the killings. The murders may have been attempted or completed in a similar fashion, and the victims may have had something in common. You have entered underground of the Macau, and you may never be. And I'm back, finally, um, after two weeks off, Underground and Macabre podcast is officially back, people. Um, last, week, uh, last week's episode I didn't record because I was bloody busy and working and I basically couldn't be bothered to do episode four. So I pushed it back a week and here it is. This is episode four, Serial Killers part Two, as you people may know, and I thought I'd just start the show off this week with just me ranting on what I've been up to and news-wise, and I've just got to rub it in a bit. I told people that the new Nightmare on Elm Street was going to be crap, and I was justified in being correct. I not a major fan of remakes. I I just. I just knew it was going to be terrible. And again, the Brit was right. <laughs> uh, fuck. Yeah, that's just me being a bitch, basically. I just told um, Wine and Derek up before about it and everything. Um, and everyone on Facebook, my friends on Facebook, have been saying how boring it is and. Oh uh, well, I hate to say I told you so. I'm not intent. I'm not intending to watch it at all. If I do ever watch it, it'd be on TV. I'm not going to pay any money for it, to be honest. I just don't really care for it, to be honest. If it ain't Robert England, it ain't fucking Freddy, in my opinion. Okay. Ah, uh, no. See, I'm back already, and I people, I'm back already. My bitching and moaning is here. I bet you fucking missed it, haven't you? Me bitching and moaning. Well, there's more to fucking come. Right, what news is there do we have this week? What have I been up to? Um, work, as I as you may know. And of course, watching Dexter. Oh, I'm so hooked to this program. I'm currently on season four. Um it is <laughs> fucking great. It's just not being funny, but I can relate to Dexter. Not being a circle, but the way he thinks, the way he sees the world. When I was like 16 or 17, and that's the way, I, the way Dexter is, is the way I was when I was about 16 or 17, minus the killing. That's who I was when I was six, I was Dexter, but not the serial killer Dexter, the mind of Dexter. If I could, I would love to fucking marry Dexter's mind. It is fucking great. The witty one-liners, that's just me, basically, but, but minus the swearing. Oh, that makes sense. Minus the swearing? What the fuck? Oh, hilarious times, people. Yeah, that's basically what I've been, mainly been watching is Dexter. I'm just so hooked. Episode after episode after episode, even my girlfriend's hooked. She's got hooked on it. She doesn't really like that sort of thing, but she is hooked. And also, I've st- started to rekindle my CSI roots. After a few years, I am really f- so fucking far behind on CSI. They're on episode se- they're season 10 right now. I think I stopped watching it. I've just got 
I just lost track of it after season five, I think, four or five. And I've just started to rekindle it all over again. And I fucking love it. Why did the fuck did I stop watching the CSIs? Why, man? Why? Does anyone know? Do I even know? I don't even think I know, to be honest. Oh, yeah, wait there. Do I know? Wait, let me think. I don't know, there's so many fucking gigs of memory up there, I don't know what I'm on about, to be honest. So, yeah, basically, we're watching Rekindled, getting back to watching CSI, loving Dexter, obsessed with Dexter, I want to marry his fucking mind, it's so gorgeous! Oh! Do you think that's my serial killer instincts coming out of me? Wanting to marry a serial killer's mind? Hmm, I wonder, people. Well, as you know, last episode was two weeks ago. It was part one of Serial Killers. This week is part two, people! Part two! Part two is here. Yes, Aaron, calm down. I've missed you guys. I seriously have. I was saying to my partner the other day, I've missed doing... I've had a fortnight off, basically. Well, a week off. Last week, I'll add off because I was working and such. And I was saying to my partner the other day, I missed doing the podcast. I... I enjoy it. I really do enjoy it. It gives me a chance to rant off my opinions that p to people that really want to know my opinion on certain things. I can't. If when I rant off to my family, they just, they just, it just goes over their head. Their 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 ignorance is pathetic. Basically, they don't understand what I'm talking about. You guys, the listeners, fucking know what I'm talking about, and that's why I love you so much, so so fucking much. Right. What was I talking about, people? I've really seriously forgot. Oh yeah, what I've been up to. Basically watching Dexter, watch, rekindling my CSI roots. <laughs> I love it so much. And basically playing video games. Right, I'm going to list off some of the video games I've been playing. I recommend you guys go and buy them. Um, Just Cause 2. The game is so fucking huge! I've done... I've, I've taken over so many different little villages and towns. Yet, I'm only 9% done with the game. And that's just a poor, small segment of the fucking island. The game is fucking huge! I need to complete it. Because Red Dead Redemption's out in a few weeks, a couple of weeks. Next week, is it next week? Next week, a week after? I don't know. And that's going to be a fucking huge game as well. I've got that pre-ordered. I've got Alan Wake pre-ordered. I've got games coming out of my fucking ears. Plus, I'm playing Left 4 Dead 2, Prototype, FIFA. Oh my god, my... I am packed full at the moment. I've got my little kids to look after. I've got to put up with my, my partner, who nags the crap out of me sometimes. I've got you guys, my wonderful family of podcasters and listeners. I've got my video games, I've got work. Ah, my mind's going to explode. I am so packed full at the moment. And, yeah, less of me ranting. Let's get back on with the show. And... Yeah, I'll be back after this break. Uh! I get lonely in this house, all by myself. His memories were tragic. If it weren't for me, we'd be starving. 
His desires were twisted. I'm gonna do it, Mama. I'm gonna punish her for her sins. His secrets were beyond imagination. You think Ed killed Colette? She's hanging in his cellar! Steve rails back. Carrie Snodgrass. Truth is more terrifying than any fiction. Of course, some folks are pretty disturbed, though, you know. <laughs> Ed Dean. Looking back, people. Now on to the first serial killer of this episode, and that would be Ed Gain. The inspiration behind Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Psycho, and Buffalo Bill's Silence of the Lambs. Ooh. Alright, I'm just going to give you a brief history on who Ed Gain is, if you don't know who he is. And roll from there. The Gain family. Ed Gain, his older brother Henry, his father George, and mother Augusta lived together on the 160-acre farm a few miles outside Plainfield. George was an alcoholic, and Augusta was a de demanding, overbearing woman who had full control over her boys. From as far back as Ed could remember, Augusta was either dele delegating work for the boys to bond or quoting the gospel. She tried hard to teach Ed and Harry about sin, especially about the evils of sex and women. Living alone. In 1940, George died as a result of alcoholism. Four years later, Henry died while fighting a fire. Ed was now fully responsible for the welfare of his dominant mother. For two years, he attended to her demands until her death in 1945. Ed, now alone, sealed off all but one room and the kitchen of the large farmhouse. He no longer worked a fire after the government began paying him as part of a soil conversation conservation program. The local handyman jobs subsidize his income. Fantasies of sex and dismemberment. Gain, sta st yeah. Gain stayed to himself. No one knew that he spent hours obsessed with sexual fantasies and reading about the female anatomy. The human experiments performed in Nazi camps also fascinated him. His mind filled with images of sex and dismemberment. And as the mental images merged into one, Ed would reach gratification. Gus, another loner, was a long-time friend of Gain. Gain told Gus her experiments he wanted to perform but needed the bodies. Together the two begin, began robbing graves for the needed bodies. Transformation. This same scenario went on for more than 10 years. This included removing Gain's mothers from her grave. The experiments with corpses became more gruesome and bizarre over the over time including necrophilia and cannibalism. Game's obsessive fantasy centralized over his powering desire to turn himself into a woman. He would construct items of skin of the body that would that drape over on himself, such as female masks and breasts. Remind you anything anyone familiar? Leatherface <laughs> He made a complete body sized female ju like jumpsuit. See? Where was I? Mary Hogan. Gaines needs escalated into believing the perfect to prefer uh, to perfect to perfect his desired sex change. He would need fresher bodies. On the eighth, nineteen fifty-four, Gaines, aged forty-eight, killed Mary Hogan over owner of a local tavern. This were unable to solve the strange appearance of Mary Hogan. 
with blood found at the tavern they knew she was most likely to be a victim of foul play. She was not involved in the murder. He was in uh, It was institution uh, Aaron, I cancel. He was put in a mental home before he began killing before the killing began. Only Gay knew for sure how many women he killed. Bernice Warden. On November 1657, Gain entered the hardware store owner of by Bernice, by Bernice Warden. Gain had been to this same store a hundred times, and Bernice had no reason to fear him. She likely thought nothing when Gain removed the 22 caliber rifle from the display rack, although her instance probably sharpened if she saw him insert his own bullet into the rifle. Gain shot the rifle and killed Bernice, placed her body into the store's truck, returned to get the cashier register, and then drove the store truck to his own home. Wait. The Warden investigation begins. An investigation to the whereabouts of Bernice Warden began after her son Frank, a deputy sheriff, returned late in the afternoon from a morning hunting trip and discovered his mother was missing and blood was on the floor of the store. A review of the store receipts included the purchase of a half gallon of antis. Game becomes a suspect. Ward thought about any suspicious activity that he could recall, and one thing came to mind. He remembered that Gain had been in and out of the store the previous week and also at closing time the night before. He heard Gain saying he'd be back in the morning to freeze and that Gain questioned him, and that Gain questioned Ward about going hunting the next day. Although Gain had never been involved in any known criminal activity, the sheriff felt it was time to pay the odd loaner a visit. Unfathomable crimes uncovered. Gain was located by the police at a store near his home. Police went to Gain's farmhouse in hopes of finding Bernice Warden. The shed was the first area searched. Working in the dark of the night, Officer Schley lit a torch and slowly swung it around the shed. Inside was a woman's naked corpse hanging upside down, the body disemboweled and the throat and head missing. It was the body of Bernice Warden. If you look on the internet, there's an actual picture, a very famous picture. Just check it out. Next came the research of Gaines House. The police officers, police, uh, the police officers waded through piles of garbage and amount of junk with only oil lamps to guide them. As the officer's eyes adjusted, the junk began to take a recognisable form, one that was more horrific than anyone could ever imagine. Everywhere they looked, they saw various body parts. Some used household items such as skulls made into bowls, jewellery from human skin, lips hanging, chair seats with human skin, upholstery, facial skin that was well preserved and re resembled masks, a box of vulvas among box of vulvas among which was his mother's painted silver. It was later determined that the body parts came from 15 different women, although some parts could never be identified. One of the most shocking items found was that of fellow officer Warden's mother's heart found in a pan on the stove. The lives of the police officers who walked through the house of horrors on the night changed forever. Game was committed to the Wolpan State Hospital for duration of his life. It was revealed that his killings, reasons for killing his older women stemmed from his love-hate feelings for his mother. He never admitted to cannibalistic or necrophilic activities. At the age of 70, Gain died of cancer and his remains were buried in his family plot in Plainfield. The property eluded evil 
and horrific memories for the people of Plainfield, and eventually it was torched by the citizens. Right, that was a little bit of brief history of Egain, and if you go to his gravesite now, the tombstone is no longer there. It's been stolen. Uh, all that's there left there now is um, plastic flowers to resemble his headstone, and next to that, his mother's um, headstone was being knocked over, but knocked over. And you can actually go and see that now. You can't go to his house because, as you know, it's been burnt down. But all the roads that lead to there are still there. If you serial killer enthusiasts out there, go check out, especially if you live near Wisconsin. Anyway, on to the film that I watched, just to keep, give me a, keep my head focused on Ed Gain, was um, Ed Gain... What's it called again? Ed Gain in the Moon in the Light of the Moon. It was directed by Chuck Perello, who also directed another serial killer film back in two thousand and four, The Hillside Strangler. So you know it's a bit of familiar territory here, like last week's episode, was last episode, Michael Pfeiffer had a relationship with directing and producing serial killer films, and now Chuck Perello, who did Ed Gain, um, also directed another serial killer film. They tend to stick together, these guys, don't they? Alright, in this film, Game was portrayed by Steve Railsback. Um, what can I say? Steve's portrayal of was great. Um, he was believed as a friendly town folk that people would like. And when he found out the truth about him, they just believe it, basically, because he was that believable and that friendly. Um, what I liked about the film, it had backstories to do with like Game's childhood, about um, scenes with him his religious mother and um, preaching to him and his brother Henry about um, sins of sex and debauchery it was really well good I, I the pace of the, the backstories wasn't too long it didn't um, derive away from the main story that was going on as well it, it was edited brilliantly the flow was wasn't too long it didn't like I said it didn't drift away from the story that was being told and also it's in a of a Basically, I call it backstories, but people will call it a flashback. I prefer backstories. It sounds it is a backstory of Edgar's history, and I'm gonna go for go with it. Um, another part of the backstories it showed Eddie being punished and beaten by his mum. Um, another scene that was really good is um, when when Ed engaged in some pleasure. I think it must have been it must have been about scene 17 at the time. It was in a bath, and he was pleasuring himself over a notebook, but had like comic that um adult comic basically his mum walked in seen him pleasure himself over that magazine and decided to beat him with a belt and each just different flashbacks like this or backstories as i say uh, it was basically revolved around his mother his mother preached and babied him too much and i think that's where the love of his mother came from and also Nate. um what else was going to say about it? Right. This film looked creepy and sick. The look of it was oof, really good. Um, the set of Ed's home looked really authentic. I've seen um, photography, photography um, pictures of Ed's, Ed's home for real. I don't own copies of it, but on the net you can find pictures. And it just looked authentic, just like it did in the film. It was damn near perfect. Had all the piles of books, um, 
the lampshades made of um, human skin, and in one scene, the bedroom had um, a spine that was also still connected to the pelvis. A lampshade's, you know, stem skin wrapped on the top lampshade. Really good, authentic work. It just, it just, it really did satisfy me. The it. it felt true to the story. Sitting um, was generally mesmerizing. It, it hooked me by my hair and dragged me through every sick fantasy that games might went through. It showed Gain's fascination with the shrunken heads and changing his sex. Oh, one scene I've got to tell you about. Um, obviously called in the in the light of the, in the moon. Uh, in light of the moon, it's called. That's the name of the film. One scene, Gain comes out with a mask, skin on, and had the um, hair of one of his victims. Had the the breasts, you know, the skin of the breasts on. Yeah, the vaginal area, you see that sort of hair from the vagina wrapped around his waist. And they come out banging a pad, acting like a loony. And that scene just reminded me of the Leatherface. At the end of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original one, where Leatherface is wheeling around this chainsaw. That's how Ed Gain looked in that scene in that film. It just reminded me of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think that, as we all know, that's where um, Toby Hooper got his idea from, is Ed Gain. And when I saw that scene, it just reminded me of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And you just know Texture's Massacre got it right when they trade a game. Oh, I just recommend this film so, so much. Um, the whole film showed Ed's fascination with with vulgar women and how he wanted to punish them because he was brought religiously. And, and Steve's performance, I really enjoyed. Unlike a certain performance from another um, Ed's game film, um, this is the the film I just talked about. Chuck Perello's aim was the best epic portrayal I've seen of Ed Gain. On the other hand, another Ed Gain portrayal I've seen I didn't really care for was done by Michael Pfeiffer, who who done Bundy. But Bundy I really enjoyed. But this um, version, The Butcher of Plainfield, was a poor portrayal of Ed Gain. They got Kane Hoder to play play him. Which was wrong from the start. Ed Gain was a scrawny little man. Whereas you know, it is totally the opposite. He is a fucking brick shitter. He played Jason for fuck's sake. How can he play a scrawny Wisconsin man? It's just not possible. Michael Pfeiffer's portrayal was more like a slasher film than a biopic of Gain. His version, I don't recommend it. If you want to watch a true life portrayal, don't watch Michael Fife's version. Watch Chuck Perello's version. But if you're a slasher fan, you may like. Personally, I didn't, to be honest. Um, yeah, that's basically it. Uh, that's all I can say about the film. Um, to round it off, basically, the mise en scene of the whole film was truly satisfying for me. It portrayed the history of who Ed Game was brilliantly. Um, in my opinion, I recommend it so, so much. If you want to check out Michael Pfeiffer's version, be, be my guest, check it out. But for a biopic film, 
don't go into don't go into microfibers version as a biopic. Go into it as a slasher flick. That's what it was. Kane Hoder butchering people. It wasn't an egg game film in my eyes. He may have had the game name, but don't go into it if you if you want to watch it as a biopic. Don't even bother. Check it out as a slasher film. Ed Gain was a scrawny man, not fucking brick shit out like Kane. Anyhow, this is my bitching. I'm gonna go take a quick some fucking fifty, and I'll be back with my second serial killer of this show, a final serial killer. I wonder if you can guess who he is. There's a clue coming right up. Be right back.
like to see you again. You did so great tonight, baby. Ah, because you're beautiful. New York City, 1977. In one neighborhood. Vinny saw the dead bodies last night. Saw the bodies? Between friends and lovers. The son of Sam Killer, who has been targeting young women, has caused panic-stricken brunettes to dye their hair blonde. I feel like I'm cheating on you with you. Anyone is a target. I think he's after me. I'm going to be number eight. You know, I'd lay five to one to kill us from right here. Uh-oh. And everyone is a suspect. It's a black guy. We understand that the lights are out. Just stay in your house, lock your doors. City that never sleeps has come to a standstill. I know who the killer is. Reggie Jackson. What kind of guns did the killer use? 44 caliber, right? What's Reggie's number? 44. Reggie's the son of Sam. They think he's the son of Sam, the 44 caliber killer. Benny, stop it! Nobody gets in my neighborhood without me knowing it. You think I'm the son of Sam? Everybody's got two personalities, man. A Spike Lee joint. John Leguizamo, Adrian Brody, Mira Sorvino, Jennifer Esposito, and Ben Gazzara. That psycho is gonna have no place to hide. 1977, the summer belonged to Sam. All right, now for serial killer number two, um, David Berkowitz. Here's just a quick summary on who he was. David Berkowitz killed six people and wounded seven others in New York City in 1976 and 1977 and came to be known as Son of Sam. Berkowitz was born David Falco, the son of Betty Broder. She had married Tony Falco and had a daughter, Rosalind. The Falcos ran a, ran a fish market together until he left her for another woman. Broder later had an affair with a married real estate agent, Joseph Clymond. When she became pregnant, and threat he threatened to abandon her if she kept the baby. When David Falco was born, she gave him up for adoption. He was raised by middle-class parents in the Bronx and had what seems to be a, a relatively ch normal childhood. He was pretty good as a baseball at baseball, but also hyperactive and some say something of a neighborhood bully. His adopted mother died of breast cancer when Berkowitz was 14, and the boy and his father moved to, into a new apartment. Berkowitz joined the army three days after graduating from high school. He was stationed in Korea and was honorably discharged after three years. Acquaintances says, say he went in, a, in for a gung-ho military service, but he came back a dove. Returning to civilian life, he worked briefly as a security guard and found that he had less and less in common with his father, who, he, who had remarried. Berkowitz sought out his biological mother and she became something of a friend to him. All four of his parents, biological and adoptive, were Jewish, but 
He dramatically renounced Judaism in 1976. Dave Berkowitz was 23. Attending the Baptist church and working as a postal clerk, his neighbour's dog, a Labrador retriever named Harvey, barked a lot and it was driving Berkowitz crazy. The neighbour, Sam Carr, received an anonymous letter asking him to stop the dog's incessant barking. When the barking continued to killings, according to Berkowitz, Harvey was a, was a, do was a demon dog and when that that dog barked it had a meaning harvey berkowitz said harvey berkowitz said barking was but it was barking out orders telling him to murder young women when police announced that several recent killings appeared to be the work of a one crazed lunatic so the media went into a frenzy for months for, for months millions of new yorkers eyed their neighbors with more suspicion than usual. Berkowitz sent several cryptic messages to New York Daily News columnist Jimmy Breslin. Breslin published them and newspaper sales skyrocketed. After a young couple who had been killed had been parked out in a car in the wee hours of the spring morning, Berkowitz left a letter at the scene and was personally addressed to Joseph Borelli, the police detective investigating the cr his crimes. In the letter, Berkowitz wrote, I am a monster. I am the son of Sam. But even then, Berkowitz had sweet, a sweet side. In the same note, he also wrote, I want to make love to the world. I love people, and I love, and I love people, and to the people of Queens, I love you, and I want to wish all of you a happy Easter. Meanwhile, Kara received a second unsigned letter about the dog barking. Now I know what kind of person you are, and what kind of kind of family you are. You are cruel, inconsiderate, you have no love for any other human beings. You're selfish, Mr. Carr. My life is destroyed now. I have nothing to lose anymore. I can see that there shall be no peace in my life or my family's life until I end yours. Carr tried to get the police to investigate, but all they did was listen and shrug. Later the dog was shot, but yet survived. Police investigated, but it never occurred to them that there might be a connection between the letters to Carr and the letters to Borelli and Breslin. Berkowitz was eventually caught after Cassilia Davis, a 49 widow, witnessed him tearing up a parking ticket near the scene of one of his attacks. Davis spent a week and a half nagging the police to follow up what she saw. But they told her no tickets had been issued on that street night, and the car she described wasn't the car they had linked to the killings. When the cops finally looked into it, though, they found a ticket had been issued to one Mr. David Berkowitz. Police went to his address, and with just one tough question, they had their man. What's your name? They asked him as he sat in his car. I am Sam, he replied, smiling manically. In 30 minutes, he confessed to everything. Berkowitz was handed a long prison sentence. If he serves all of his time, he will be released in 2342, during his first few years in prison. Fellow inmates nicknamed him David Berserkowitz for his insane behaviour. In 1979, another inmate at Attica slashed Berkowitz's throat with a razor. The son of Sam needed 56 stitches and still sports an 8-inch scar today. He refused to identify his attacker. In 1989, he became a born-again Christian. Ugh, like all serial killers do. Why not take up earlier? And in the late 1990s, Berkowitz was released to sell, released two self-help tapes, Son of Sam, Son of Hope, and This Choice is Yours with David Berkowitz. The companies behind the videos reassure customers that David Berkowitz receives no royalties. And to my 
film in question. In 1999, Spike Lee directed The Summer of Sam. Um, here's a quick synopsis on what Summer of Sam, Summer of Sam is. In 1979, a serial killer who killed and called himself Son of Sam held New York City in the terror as he went on a killing spree, periodically writing letters to New York's media in which he took a full responsibility for his murders and made clear that he intended to kill them. Spitely, Summer of Sam deals in part with this crime spree but mostly looks back at the fearful impact of the crimes in New York's collective consciousness. Vinnie and Diona, played by John Leguizamo and Mira Savino, are an unhappy young married couple living in the Bronx. Vinnie often cheats on Diona but is wrecked with guilt about it. While Diona fears she lacks the looks of a lure to hold on to a man, Richie, Adrian, played, by, played by Adrian Brody, is a neighbourhood kid turned punk rocker with a complete fake British accent. Pathetic accent in my eyes. He is a band... He has a band and a girlfriend played by Jennifer Esposito, who is damn fine in this film. Believe me, damn fine. But also makes money as an exotic dancer at a gay club. Hmm, I'm have to try that one myself. And Luigi, ben, played by Ben Gazzera, a long-time leader of the organised crime in the Bronx, is approached by the police, with whom he generally has a less cordial relationship with to help them find the killer. As citizens of the Sun neighbourhoods barricade the streets in a fear that he will strike them there next, meanwhile a tortured psychopath named David Berkowitz, played by Michael Badalucco, seethes with rage in his gloomy apartment and receives messages from a demonic dog who commands him to kill and kill again. This is also Spike Lee's first film without a primarily African-American cast. Right, the film in general. The film is basically around um, neighbor, neighborhoods in the Bronx where the murders are happening and it revolves around the fears of their, the residents there that they could be next in, in line for the 44 caliber killer. And in one of the scenes played by um, with John Leguizamo, he's taken his wife's cousin home, but on the way he decides to fuck her in his car, basically doing it doggy style, put it that way. And in the car behind is what is what is later that night one of the victims of the 44 caliber killer. And this is where John Leguizamo's character becomes paranoid, thinking that he was seen by the killer and could well be the next. So he goes on this bender of sex and drugs and paranoia, which basically ruins his relationship. What I like about this film, it doesn't it's not a biopic film of a particular serial killer. It's a film that shows you what 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 put it this way. It's how do I put it, to be honest, people? It shows you what it could have been like for the families and people living in the neighbourhoods during that horrific time. Um, how they may have reacted to the killings and, and how truth it is and how connected the, the, the people were. Um, these people loved their city. They didn't want some sicko going around killing off their friends and neighbours basically. They didn't want to live in fear. So the film rolls around this local gang gangster um, working with the police trying to find the killer. Try and I just love this film. 
what more can I, say? I can't really say anything about it. It's basically revolves around a group of people living in that time in the fear of the 44 caliber killer, aka Son of Sam, aka David Berkowitz. And I watch this film annually. When I mean annually, I mean every couple of months I shove this on. And the funny thing is, people, when I watch this film, it is always, always sunny. Very hot. It's always a very hot day. Maybe it's the devil trying to get contact me through the, my DVD. Maybe it's my own Harvey trying to tell me to kill people. But I can't see it happening. The look of the film, the mise-en-scene in the film is really well done. It's got a nice summer warm film. It feels warm, it feels sweaty, it feels uncomfortable. Which... I think that's the way he was trying to go for it because that summer was scorching hot and there's a serial killer around shooting off young couples in cars and I think Spike Lee wanted the audience to feel that and maybe that's why every time I watch it is a scorching hot day maybe deep down somewhere someone wants me to feel what they felt sweaty anxious nervous and scared but I wasn't scared to be honest so yeah, um, David Berkowitz, if you want to check him out, go onto YouTube, there's some really odd videos of him discussing religion, and he's got this really funny moustache now, and he's got grey hair, so check him out if you want to read about him. He's a good serial killer to talk to, but not my favourite. My favourite is yet to come. I'll be right back with some feedback, people. Ciao. Welcome back, my macabre listeners, and some fantastic news. I finally, after four fucking episodes, got my first bit of feedback, and it's from the none other than my bud from Detroit, Grey of the Dark Hours. Check this out, people. Aaron, this is your podcasting friend, Gray, from the Dark Hours Horror Podcast. I just had to call in and let you know how pleased I am with your new show, Underground of the Macabre. The first episode was just great. I mean, lots of cool sounders, some great content. And then the second episode was just as good. I actually liked hearing you rip apart both movies because your points were valid and you communicated them in a very clear and concise manner, which was entertaining to hear. You know, you didn't just say this movie sucked. So I really liked it, and even though you didn't enjoy the movies as much. And then your last episode, which focused on the serial killers, wow. Um, now, personally, I don't have a fascination with serial killers like yourself. I, I've I've enjoyed the movies that have come out focusing on serial killers, but I've only seen a couple. To be honest with you, serial killers and the situation of serial killers actually unsettles me a bit. Not many things frighten or unsettle me, but 
having some person um, holding another person against their will with the intent and the knowledge that that person is going to die unless somebody else saves them or rescues them or kills the, the killer by the end of the movie is just very unsettling to me. And so, I mean, the, it's been done very well, like Silence of the Lambs and some of these other movies, but more often than not, it's just not my cup of tea. Now, having said that, listening to your retrospective on uh, Bundy and the uh, the other serial killers that you did was very, very interesting. I, I look forward to the rest of your episodes focusing on serial killers because it is fascinating material. Now, I don't look into that stuff, and I don't research that stuff, so listening to it on your podcast was fairly new to me. I have seen the Zodiac movie, so I kind of knew the general gist of the story, but your podcast really filled me in and was entertaining listening. I really can't say uh, enough how well your podcast is put together and how well you come across. I think that you deserve all the listeners that you get, and I hope that you don't stop podcasting anytime soon. I am very much enjoying it, and you have a friend here and a fan in the dark hours. For now, that's it. I'm out of here. Thank you so much for giving me a couple minutes on your show. And remember, beware the dark And thank you, Gray, for that bit of really fantastic feedback. I really appreciate it. Thank you, bud. And to, to your question on Facebook, no, it wasn't Facebook, what was it? It was Twitter yesterday. We will have to sort out an episode we have to do together. We have to sort out the timeline. I think you're five hours behind me, so don't worry, Eric. Derek? Eric? I'm getting mothered up now. Eric. Derek's the other guy from the blog spot. Eric's the dark hours guy. Fuck, I'm mothering you, you two guys up. Two fantastic friends of mine. I'm getting you muddled up. Maybe you can crossbreed or something. I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to sort that episode out, um, Eric. It'll be a fantastic episode. So you guys listen out. Me and Eric of the dark hours. In the future, doing an episode together. And we're talking about a slasher episode, which should be fun. And another thing I want to talk about, why is Eric the only guy I've had feedback from? I know I've got listeners out there that listen to this show. Where is your feedback? You know how to get in contact with me. I'm on Facebook. Just type in Aaron Macabre Grant, and I'm fucking right there. It has my podcast picture as my profile pic. You can't forget me. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron UOTM. If you're a follower of Gray, I'm on, just go onto his profile, then click onto mine. It's not exactly hard. I'm not going to bite. I may sound like a bit of an asshole, but I'm not going to bite. So where's my fucking feedback, people? Oh, yeah. I did have a little bit of feedback from someone else. Another podcast I recommend you check out is Podcast at Midnight. The podcast Walks at Midnight, that's it, by Manny. Um, I chat to him on Facebook. No, it's not Facebook, Twitter. I'm getting fucking everything mulled up. What have I been taking? Fucking crack or something? No, I chat to Manny on um, Twitter. He's just currently... Is it released his third episode? Yeah, he just currently released his third episode after having a, 
a while off, didn't he? I think he had a while off sorting some stuff out. And it's a really fun podcast. I really enjoy it. I didn't enjoy him the way um, he said, you couldn't watch any Saw film and enjoy it. Well, Manny, I've got to tell you, I am a fucking massive Saw fan. I love every single one. And how the fuck can you say you can't go in, no one can go into a Saw film and not enjoy it? Damn, you are wrong, boy. You may be young, but I'll let you off on that one. I'll let you off because you're young. But if you're older, you got a fucking bitch slap. No, no, no. Nah, I wouldn't hit you. Just maim and slaughter you like the macabre woods. Yeah, um, his podcast is really fun. Go to iTunes and type in podcast walks at midnight. He's a fun guy to listen to. Nice and relaxing. Really good podcast. I recommend it, people. Truly do. Listen. Do you hear it? It's getting closer. Much closer. Don't be afraid. Be very, very afraid. obvious threat to untold numbers of citizens and because of the crisis which is even now developing this radio station will remain on the air day and night this station and hundreds of other radio and tv stations throughout this part of the country are pooling their resources through an emergency network hookup to keep you informed of all developments are now infected. Rapid infection is a cruel curse that drives one mad with rage. Welcome to the Rapid Infectious Podcast. Join Mac, Megan, John and Belinda for a discussion of darkness and horror. This is it, guys. The final part of episode four, Serial Killers Part Two. Um, I'd like to say a bit of news of what's coming up in next week's episode. Yes, I'm back next week. I'm not going to have a week off. Um, I should I tell you now who the killers are going to be. I'm going to be talking about. 
I'll tell you one of them. I'm not going to tell you the other one, though. I am going to be discussing and talking about one of my favourite serial killers of all time. I want to round off this series in fucking style. And he is none other than the Night Stalker that is Richard Ramirez. A guy that when I was younger, I was obsessed about. And when I mean obsessed, I used to walk the streets where I lived, wearing a bandana around my face. No kidding. A bandana around my face, with a hoodie up, walk around the streets, listen to ACDC, and freaking people out. No joke. I was about 16 or 17 at the time, and I was obsessed with this guy. In a way, I'm a good. It's a good thing I never fucking took it to the next level and started killing people, because at the time of my life, when I was at that age, I was very depressed, very. How do I put it? Yeah, I was really depressed. I was angry with a lot of people. I was kind of having really sick thoughts at the time of my age. I can't believe I just let you guys know that. See, I love you guys that mo that much. I tell you such personal things about myself. What I was, was that's why this guy can I can connect, kind of connect with this guy personally, but obviously not physically due to the fact that I've not killed anyone. But there was a time in my life where I thought I was going to go that way. At one point, when I was 15, 16, I even said to myself, I want to be a serial killer when I grow up. Those are the words I said to myself. I want to be a serial killer when I grow up. And all I watched at the time was slasher films, any type of horror film I get behind. I was obsessed with murder and slaughter. And this is all when I was 15, 16. Those days have gone now. I have grown up. I've got a family to look after. I've got you guys to entertain. And that was, what, nearly 10 years ago now I had that phase. And that phase is gone. I still, Don't get me wrong, I still love serial killers. I still like to read about them. love to um, find out what makes them tick. But I don't think I'll ever go that way. I've got too much to lose now. I've got my friends. I've got my family. And I've got my life, basically. And I don't want to ruin it. So... I'm about to go, otherwise I'm going to get too personal and tell you some weird shit about myself. But if any of you guys really want to know about me, or anything about me, you can contact me at undergroundofthemacabre.blogspot.com. Check out that. It's got all the information to do my podcast. And if you want to chat to me on Facebook, I've told you where to come and find me. Come and chat to me. Eric chats to me, Derek chats to me, and Slug from the Slugcast chats to me. I'm not a violent guy. I used to be when I was younger, been really, but I've grown up and matured. And come chat to me, I'll chat to you about absolutely anything. It could be non-horror related. People, I'm not just a horror fan. I love any type of movie. I'll sit there and watch a good comedy. I'll sit there and watch a chick flick. Yes, I will watch a chick flick. I don't mind them. I love film in general. I love TV in general. I love anything in general to be honest I'm a friendly fun loving guy so yeah you have been listening to Aaron of the macabre this has been underground of the macabre podcast and I am signing out and I shall speak to you guys 
Love you.